Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you. And there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. When we left off last time, Paul had made a decision, and it was difficult. He decided to dive deeply into a difficult discussion with some of the church leaders who were distorting some doctrine. They'd started teaching that there was only this life, that there was nothing beyond, there was no life after death. And it it wasn't a new belief system. It wasn't something that they had just come up with on their own. It, it was actually what the Sadducees had believed and taught for over 150 years prior to Jesus even arriving on the earth. They believed there was no resurrection of the dead, that spirits didn't exist, and they denied the use of oral traditions. And so Paul was understandably uh, feeling a sense of urgency. It was contrary to everything that he was teaching. So probably hurt, possibly offended, he asks them, why are you trying to do what's always been done? I mean, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Jesus has been raised. If Jesus hasn't been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old, it's passed away. Behold, the new has come. But the irony was, this thing Paul was teaching, it wasn't new at all. It was far older than any of them. It was straight from the source, Jesus, who in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so off Paul's teachings to those church people, I talked about what was going on here in Green Bay. Or maybe more importantly, what wasn't going on here. And I pushed you to pursue pockets, to do church in your homes, something that feels new to some of you. But the irony is, it isn't new at all. It's far older than any of us. I mean, I've been talking about it for four months. We've been seeing it through all of Paul's teachings. It's how the churches that he formed focused their energy and changed the world from the inside out, which the enemy was desperate to stop then. And he's still desperate to stop today. I want to talk about that in a message we're calling The Temptation. So Paul's confrontation of this distorted doctrine was peculiarly pertinent to his own situation storm clouds were gathering. Those who'd been identified as having been favored or protected by Solanus prior to his assassination, they were being hunted down. They were being murdered or being thrown into dungeons. And Paul knew that his death, torture, or his captivity, it could come any day. He faced death daily. He stood in jeopardy every hour. And the uncertainty was unsettling. It was like black, threatening storm clouds gathered, deepening moment by moment, but giving no indication whether the torrential rain would drench him or if they would just pass him by. 
He knew a wide door for effective work had opened to him, but that there were many adversaries. And so he lamented. If because of his faith and message, he became a mangled corpse, torn apart by wild animals for the entertainment of the masses, if he became a pile of blood and carnage to be pushed off the arena floor and piled into a cart while slaves sprinkled sand readying the ground for the next victim, was that it? Is that the end? Because if so, then there was really no point. There was really no hope. So he passionately pushed back on their teaching and he said, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first of a great harvest of all who've died. In other words, not only has Jesus risen from the dead, he did it so you can too. So death, it's swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? So my brothers and sisters, be strong. Be immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And in the months following the completion of this letter to the Corinthians, Paul would need every ounce of that final exhortation and encouragement in his own life. The storm, it finally struck. Sometime at the end of 54 or early in 55, Paul was swept into this calamity, into this chaos. Before he returned to Macedonia, he had planned to stay in Ephesus until the spring. He wanted to seize the opportunity to share Jesus that was presented by this great pagan festival that was about to take place, by the fact that the public was unhappy and uneasy after the murder of Salanus. But the plan, it exploded with impossibility a time of terror greater than anything even the hard-charging, constantly campaigning Paul had ever known brought him to the sharpest crisis of his life. And so he'd write, we don't want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And translators have attempted to convey what Paul wrote without ever truly being able to capture the intensity of it. He was saying, we were utterly, unbearably crushed. We were pressed beyond measure and strength. We were completely overwhelmed. It was more than we could bear. The things we had to undergo were more of a burden than we could carry. I feared I would never live through it. And honestly, it'll never be known exactly what happened to him. But he was probably arrested probably beaten severely with rods, probably tortured, and then thrown into a dungeon where he fell deathly ill before he passed into this deep mental and spiritual affliction. Yet from this affliction, about 18 months later, he'd write, who will separate us from the love for Christ? Will trouble or hardship, persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or the sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so I'm convinced that there's nothing in death or life, in the realm of spirits or superhuman powers, in the forces of the universe, in heights or depths, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever his struggle, it's unquestionable that he descended into a spiritual valley where his soul endured stresses that nearly shattered him. He recoiled from pain, but never ran from it. 
He felt hurt when abused, but harbored no resentment. He grew agitated when a church was threatened by the very people he'd led to Jesus, but he didn't let bitterness grow. So he said, who's weak and I don't feel weak with him? Who's made to stumble and I don't burn with indignation? So in the slime and stench of an Ephesian dungeon, his mind ran restlessly, relentlessly, with the problems of Corinth, the problem of evil, and the apparently limitless resources of those who hated Jesus. He said he was pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. As distress increased, he seemed to have entered this dark night of the soul, suffering a loss of his will. In a notable section of his letter to the Romans, with the events in Ephesus still recent, with the events in Ephesus still fresh in his mind, he used terms about himself that suggest that he'd been through deep waters of spiritual agony. He said, I can't understand my own behavior. I fail to carry out the things I want to and find myself doing the very things I hate. I know that nothing good lives in me in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. He says, my inner being delights in the law of God, but I see a different law at work in my body, a law that fights against the law that my mind approves of. It makes me a prisoner to the law of sin, which is at work in my body. And this is so sad. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's infected by death? Who will rescue me? Who will deliver me? The cry of his heart echoed through nights of pain and despair until a profound realization of his weakness led to a surge forward in the spirit where he'd say, wait, who will deliver me? <laughs> I thank God the answer is in Jesus. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. As Paul slipped into suffering to a depth even he'd never previously known, he began to learn more about the power of Jesus. Who said to him, my grace, Paul, is sufficient for you. And it is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in weakness. So that Paul would respond, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Just as he suffered as never before, he realized as never before that he was sharing in Christ's sufferings so that he might also share Christ's comfort. He suddenly saw the purpose of it. It was all so he could describe to his converts the reality of Jesus' extraordinary power and love. He said, yes, we were carrying our own death warrant with us, and it's taught us not to rely on ourselves, but only on God who raises the dead to life. God could deliver, he had delivered, and he'd deliver again. A truth that after this season of spiritual suffering, Paul would never doubt again, evidenced in the fact that in the afterglow of affliction, he would write a statement of juxtaposition. He said, we are pressed, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, 
but not destroyed. So he says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And he's so convinced and has such conviction about this that he repeats himself. He says, we're always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. Paul's difficulties and pain actually helped Jesus to show himself, to distribute the aroma of his love like the petals of a rose, the scent of which grows stronger when they're crushed. He says, so we don't lose heart. He said, we don't lose heart even though he was constantly and continually faced with the temptation to do so. Even though despair had nearly cut him off before some of his finest work, he never lost heart. But what if he had? What if he would have given up? If he had, we'd have missed some of his best work. We'd have never gotten first or second Timothy, Titus, Romans, or the book of Hebrews. But he didn't. He persevered and could now face whatever might come. He'd say, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed every day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are, are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, those are eternal. And it's those things that are unseen that can change the world from the inside out. And the enemy's desperate to stop them. And so he pushes us, pressures us to give in to the temptation to do what's familiar or comfortable rather than what's difficult and out of our comfort zone, like having people in our homes or going to smaller venues and sitting around tables having deeper discussions about a message. But I beg you, don't lose heart. Even though you're constantly and continually faced with the temptation to do so, even though despair has nearly cut you off, I promise your best work is about to be done. Your best days are just ahead. Breakthrough in your marriage, with your kids, for your family, with your friends is right around the corner. If you'd only avoid the temptation to give in, don't give in, don't lose heart. Because I wonder, what will the world miss out on if you do? Before we can even talk about not losing heart, you've got to gain heart. That's the essence of salvation. Salvation is giving you a bigger heart. It's giving you a heart that's filled with the presence and the power and the relationship of Jesus. And so this morning, before we go any further, I. I would be remiss if I didn't give you the opportunity to partake in that, to partake in this beautiful thing that in the church world we call salvation. It's a rescuing. It's where you surrender who you are so that you can take on who he is. And you know, we've complicated it for so long in so many different avenues of the religious faith community, but really all salvation is is surrendering and receiving him so that you can be in relationship with him. So this morning, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that. And here's how, in just a moment, I'm gonna say a few lines in a prayer, and then I'm gonna pause. When I pause, if you repeat what I just said, the Bible says, if you mean that in your heart, you will be saved. So if that's you, if you say, I want to gain his heart, would you repeat this after me? Say, Jesus, 
I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you change me? Will you come into my life, make me different, make me new, be my Lord, and be my Savior? In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, congratulations. It's the greatest decision you ever have or ever will make in your life. And you begin this journey away from who you are toward who Jesus wants you to be, which is more like him. And so we just want the opportunity to walk that journey with you. So if you'd reach out to us and let us know that you made that decision, we'd sure like the opportunity to do life with you. But we're not done. I wonder if you're watching this and you say, Sean, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl. But in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of all of the stuff that's been going on in the last few weeks, you'd be honest and you say you feel like you've lost heart. If that's you, I wanna pray for you. God, for my friends who are on this. God, I pray for courage. I pray for strength. I pray that like Paul, we will never give up. We will never give in. We will never lose heart even though we feel pressed. Give us courage and strength to keep our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.